First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, hear me, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Man, we have hope in Jesus Christ. In a world that is falling apart, our hope is in Jesus, and therefore we do not lose heart. While you're standing, would you take a moment and welcome those around you? If you'll return to your seats and you may be seated. You may return to your seats and be seated. 
Man, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Man, I was already excited. We had an incredible morning. Looking forward to preaching this morning as we start a new sermon series. Um, and then, man, the Lord just reminded me just in the last like 15 seconds. The last point that I'm going to talk about this morning is, man, God is a God of providence and he works things out even when we don't even know what he's doing. And so that is, uh, that is incredible. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist. We're so thankful that you are here um, to worship with us this morning. If this is your first time, we just want to take a moment to welcome you. Um, I know today's been a little bit unique with our Sunday school promotion, um, but it's an incredible day, and so thank you for being here. I know we have several visitors. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad you're here, and we would appreciate if you would let us know. Now, you can do that a couple ways. There's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan, or there's a connection card um, out there in the foyer that you could just fill out some information about yourself, and we would greatly appreciate that. We do have the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, so I'm going to go ahead and make some announcements now. So just put these, file them somewhere in your brain, and don't forget them over the next hour. Uh, baby bottles. We have some baby bottles out there um, in the foyer. All the information's in the bulletin. If you want to know more about that, look there. Come tonight at 6 o'clock for our International Food Night. This is a night for us to focus on missions. We encourage you to bring a meal from a different country, and hopefully some of you have you saw it in the bulletin, you have prepared, you've researched about that country a little bit, um, the, the lostness or the, the missionaries that are there, and you can share for a few minutes. We're going to have an emphasis upon um, Ecuador because we have a team going there soon, and so just want to be mindful of that. But we also have a new element this year. So we're going to eat starting at 6 in about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, however long it takes to eat. Then after that, our kids are going to go do their own thing. An interactive thing is they're going to learn more about missions in Ecuador. And so parents, come, bring your kids. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, after the service, our students are having a meeting about 10 minutes after the service. If you're going to youth camp, we need you to make your way to the YAC, the Youth Activity um, Center over there, what is it? Yeah, center, yeah, yak. Uh, make your way over there to go over some camp, fill out forms, and hear me. Any kids or students going to camp, there is a form that we ask you to fill out if you're going with us in transportation so you can see Pastor Gary if you have no clue what we're talking about because we need you to fill out that form. Um, vacation Bible School, register for that. One other thing I want to point out that's in the bulletin because we need to make a change of date. You see here that um, CHOA, Community Hands-On Actions, they have a, a ministry project that they're going to do at a house. The date in here is Saturday, June 10th. We're changing that for a conflict and schedule to the next Saturday, June 17th, and we're actually going to push it back to 10 a.m. So that way you can come to the men's breakfast, and then after the men's breakfast, if you're able, you can make your way. Um, see Jim Heastan. Get the address, where you need to be, um, so see him about that today. Senior friends, Sweet 16, all that information um, is in there. All right, praying the scripture. This morning we are going to take the Lord's Supper together, and so I want to take a moment to just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, and want you to take a moment to do what the scripture says. And it says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the brink, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So would you take a moment right where you are, and that verse is on the screen, just to pray through it, and to prepare your heart, to examine your heart. And if there is any sin, any idolatry, 
anything in your heart right now, would you just confess that to the Lord, repent of it, and seek his cleansing and his forgiveness, and then I will pray for us in just a minute, and then we'll worship some more together. So go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the privilege and the joy it is to gather with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ and to exalt your name, to be reminded, oh God, that your grace is amazing, that you are the one that takes graves and takes death and turns it into a garden and into life. Only you can rescue, only you can deliver, only you can save. And this morning, we are all in need of a rescuer. So Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that is readily available to us right now. Father, prepare our hearts as we continue to worship. Prepare our hearts for the preaching of your word. But then also, Father, prepare our hearts for what we'll do at the, at the end of the service as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, as we are remembering, Jesus, your death, your burial, your resurrection, as we eat and drink, we are proclaiming that this morning, but we also proclaim that until you return. But Father, we don't want to eat or drink this morning in a way, in a manner that is unworthy. There is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness, but we must confess our sins, turn from our sins, repent of our sins. So Father, right now, show us the glory of yourself. Show us the sinfulness that is in our hearts and remind us that in Christ there is hope. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for being a God who leads us. And God, we just adore you. We worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship.
thank you, Tracy. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our younger age kiddos, three and four-year-olds, are going to make their way to Children's Church. Our K through second, you're going to stay in here. You stay in here once a month, and so that's going to be today. Everyone else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. If you don't know where Esther is, let's say find the psalm, the Psalms, and then start going backwards to the front. You'll have Job, and then you have Esther right before Job. So open your Bible midway through, you'll come to the Psalms, start flipping back until you get to Esther. So we're going to begin a series in Esther that will take us through the summer. Now, I absolutely love this book. It is a short book. It's only 10 chapters. And four years ago, at my previous church, I preached through Esther. And I fell in love with it. So as I started studying for this again, I still have my manuscripts. I still have all my handwritten notes and my notepads. And I set those aside, and I took a clean pad in the Bible and my commentaries and just started afresh. And and then we'll pull back from some things, but started afresh. And I've already made a change from four years ago. Four years ago when I preached the very first sermon, I preached the introduction and then the first nine verses all on the same Sunday. Today, you're just getting an introduction. Today's just an introduction. We're gonna, I'm going to read the first three verses, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the first three verses, and then I'm going to spend a few minutes giving you the setting for when Esther takes place, where it takes place in redemptive history, where it takes place in just history itself. And so for five to ten minutes, if you love history, you're going to find this fascinating. If you don't like history, just hang on because it's important. To understand. And then what we'll do is I'll give you some big takeaways from Esther. Now, if you have never read Esther or you're not familiar with Esther, I'm not going to lay out the story today. But I want to encourage you this week to read Esther. It won't take you long. It's only 10 chapters, and the 10th chapter is only three verses. So I don't even really count as a chapter, but it's not long. All right, so take your copy of God's Word and please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Esther chapter 1. Verses uh, just 1 um, through 3. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, I've heard people pronounce that Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus, all sorts of different ways. I will probably go back and forth. In the Greek, his name is Xerxes. That's easier to say, but we'll just say what the ESV says. The Ahasuerus, who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. You may be seated. So this, this narrative, this historical story, there's a Greek historian, Herodotus, who talks about many of these events, right? This is a historical book. It's a narrative. And so I want to place it in its historical context and its redemptive history context, just so you know what's going on. So um, you come to the first king of Israel, Saul. Saul's son is, who becomes the next king? David. And after David is... Solomon, right? After Solomon, the kingdom is split. 
It becomes the northern kingdom, right, called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. Now, you fast forward many years to 722 B.C., and this is going to be on the screen for you to follow along. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom, Israel, is defeated by the superpower of that day, the Assyrians, and they're taken into captivity and they're exiled. That's 722 B.C. Then you fast forward. In 605 B.C., beginning in 605, there are three deportations that take place among Judah, the southern kingdom. 605, 597, 586 B.C. The superpower of the day are now the Babylonians. They have taken over the Assyrians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, a name that you're probably familiar with. In 586 B.C., right, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and the Jews, God's people, this is key, are taken into captivity. Fast forward, 539 B.C. You have a new superpower of the day, the Persians and the Medes. The Persians are led by Cyrus the Great. They capture Babylon, and they become the superpower. About one year later, in 538 B.C., This is kind of setting up Esther. In 538 B.C., in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we read of Cyrus the Great declaring that the Jews who had been captured and deported could now return to their homeland and to begin to rebuild the temple. So you have the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah. And then you have Joshua in the historical books, and our copy goes through Esther. And then you have Job, and you begin to get into the wisdom writings. Esther is preceded by Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are writing about, or living about the same time of Esther. Ezra and Nehemiah are telling the story of how many Jews go back home and begin to rebuild the temple, and eventually the walls, and they go back to their homeland. Esther, however, tells the story of two people primarily, Mordecai and Esther, who do not return to Jerusalem. They're Jews, but they don't go home. Rather, they remain in Persia, some 50 years after Cyrus's decree. Now, getting into the events of Esther, 486 BC, King Ahasuerus, Greek name Xerxes, begins to rule over Persia, right? The superpower of the day. Begins to rule in 486. Three years later, the third year of his reign is when Esther 1 begins to take place. So he's been reigning for three years. You've been introduced to him, King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes. In 479 BC, Esther becomes queen. Now, if you don't know anything about Esther, you're like, well, who's Esther? Why is she a queen? We'll get there. This is the seventh year of his reign. Esther becomes queen. In 473 B.C., so the 12th year of his reign, chapter 9 and 10 of Esther take place. It's called the Feast of Purim. It is a a feast that is still celebrated by Jews today. If you've never read Esther, you're like, what's Purim? What's the significance of this feast? We'll get there. You can read it this week, and you can find out for yourself. So that's just kind of preceding Esther, some dates, the timeline of how Esther unfolds. Now, let me give you a couple other things that you may or may not find interesting. If you just continue to think about history in this time, in 330 BC, 
Alexander the Great conquers Persia. So you go from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Persians and the Medes are the superpower to the Greeks become the superpower. And by the time you get to the New Testament, who's in control? The Romans. Right? They're in control by the time you come to the New Testament. Now some other historical interest of note, which will lead to a quote to kind of wrap this portion up. In 551 B.C., so before the events of Esther, the Chinese philosopher Confucius is born. Anybody heard of Confucius? You probably have. In 469 B.C., so after the events of Esther, the Greek philosopher Socrates is born. Heard of Socrates? Probably have. In 570 B.C., before the events of Esther, the Greek philosopher and mathematician Pythagoras is born. The Pythagorean theorem which is still used today. In 776 B.C., before the events of Esther, the ancient Olympic Games begin. They've been going on some 200 years before Esther comes on the scene. Now, why did I just mention some of that? Because I absolutely love what Karen Jobes writes in her commentary. She has a fantastic commentary. She says this, To the educated person today, the names like Socrates and Pythagoras are no doubt more familiar than those of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Many people in the world would have no clue who we're talking about when we mention those three biblical names. But they know the Pythagorean theorem. They know about the Olympic Games. But here's what she says. Nevertheless, it was in Jerusalem and not in Athens that events of eternal significance were unfolding. God seems to work in unlikely places through seemingly insignificant events. God is doing something amazing in this story. So four big ideas that I want us to consider and to think about before we really dive into this next week. So number one, big idea is this. God is not mentioned by name in the book of Esther. But this does not mean God is silent. Read through Esther this week. You know what you will not find? You will not find Jehovah, you will not find Yahweh, you will not find Elohim. Read Esther this week and you will not find any mention of God's law. No mention of priest, no mention of sacrifices, no mention of worship, no mention of prayer. Some have argued, Martin Luther argued this pretty strongly, that Esther should not even be included in the canon of Scripture because God is not explicitly mentioned but i would argue that luther was wrong that in fact that though god is not mentioned that does not mean that god is silent or absent god is the king behind the scene not S-C-E-N-E, -E, like in a play or in a movie, but the king behind the scene, that which you can see. Consider a play. You go to a Broadway play. Ryan and I are heading to Florida this week to spend some time together to celebrate our anniversary. And we love plays, and so we're going to go to Tampa one night to see Annie on Broadway. Ryan loves the movie Annie, and so we're going to go do that. So you consider a play. When you're watching a play, what you see are the main characters. What you see are the secondary characters. What you don't see is the author or the director. Without them, there is no play. 
What you don't see are the people behind the scenes who are changing out the scenes and doing all the things you can't see. If it's not for them, there is no plays. There are no movies. And so though we don't see God mentioned, He is at work. God is always working through providence. Sometimes in large and powerful ways. You think about Moses and the Israelites before the Red Sea. And God miraculously parts the Red Sea. Yeah, that's God working in a pretty big way. Or you consider the miracles of Jesus, right? God in the flesh doing serious, amazing things. But there are other times in our lives where God seemingly works in insignificant events. So hear me. He may be unseen in Esther, but he's clearly at work in this book. And you and I need to realize as we think about this, as you apply this to your life. So hear me. There are times in your life, listen carefully, where you will not see God. Now listen, you'll never see him physically because God is spirit. But there will be times where you'll be looking at your life, looking at your circumstances, and you'll say, God, I don't see you. There may be times in your life where you say, I don't hear God. I'm reading his word, and it's just like I'm going through the motions. I don't hear him. I don't, I don't hear the Spirit of God speaking to me. Listen, there's going to be times in your life where you will say, Pastor, I don't feel God. I don't feel his presence. I don't feel he is near me. I don't see him. I don't hear him, and I don't feel him. How do I know he's still there? Listen, because he has promised in his word that he will not leave you nor forsake you. Pastor Gary brought an awesome message a couple weeks ago for um, our seniors during uh, grad Sunday. And he said something, man, that I hope you were listening to. And young people, I hope you were listening to. And it was so good, I'm going to repeat it. As you go through life and as you make decisions, hear me, you cannot base your decisions off of your perception, off of your emotions, This is what I feel. This is what I think. This is what I see. Because the reality, as he said, is your emotions are going to lie to you. Your perceptions will lead you astray. How do you know that no matter what you go through, God is with you in the midst of it because he has promised and my God doesn't lie. Amen? So you hold to the promises of his word. I love what Warren Wearsby writes. This fact ought to encourage God's people. Whether you live on a farm, in a small town, in the suburbs, or in a metropolis, God is there and is always at work on behalf of his people. Now, I told you all, I love the book of Esther. Let me tell you one of the reasons why I love the book of Esther. I love it because it's an incredible story. But I also love it because four years ago, on June 2nd, 2019, I began to preach through this book of Esther. And my schedule that summer, we were gone several times. We had a couple speakers come in. So by the time I got to August, I hadn't finished the book. I'd only made it three, four, five chapters in. Starting in August and September of that year, I heard from the pastor search committee here at Northside. In fact, the first sermons that they heard from me was the book of Esther. And as we began to talk to them, and as we came here, and as we met you and saw the facilities and saw the property, it became clear that God was in this. 
we could all see God, which led to my starting here December 1st, 2019, three and a half years ago. We could clearly see it. But here's why I love Esther. Because as I was studying and preaching through Esther, that God is the God sometimes that we do not see, God was working in ways that you didn't know and I didn't know to bring our past together. He didn't start in August and September when we could see it. He had been doing that for months and years, bringing our past together. Everything that happened, none of it was by accident. He had a purpose in all of it. So hear me, this morning you may say, I don't see God, I don't hear Him, I don't feel Him. He is there. He's there. He's at work right now in your life. There'll be times you'll see it, other times you won't, but hear me, He's at work. Second thing I want you to See, because i got to be honest, this frustrated me a little bit as I was studying for this. Number two is this. We have all the information we need, but not all the information we want. As you study the book of Esther, you need to understand that no author tells you all the facts. The author of Esther doesn't tell us all the facts. And so there are things that as you're studying this, you would just like to know why. Like, why couldn't you just give me a little bit more information? So let me give you two examples that we'll see in the next several weeks. Um, in two weeks, we'll see this queen, Queen Vashti, married to King Ahasuerus. And King Ahasuerus commands her to come, and she doesn't come. Why? Scripture doesn't tell us. There are some possible options. Right, the, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis have an interpretation as to why she didn't come. We'll look at some of those, but hear me. We can't definitively say this is why she didn't come. We don't know. A second thing that we just don't know is why in the world did Mordecai and Esther not go back to Jerusalem? It's been 50 years since they could have gone home. Many people went home. Why'd they stay in Persia? Were they too comfortable? Had they gotten used to the culture? Did they just like it? Were they too scared to go home? Why? Now listen, we know God sovereignly works through all of it, but why did they not return when many people went back home? We don't know all the answers. So here's a word of caution. For this study and any time you're studying God's Word, here it is. You and I cannot go beyond what Scripture teaches. We can have our thoughts, and our opinions, and it's great to discuss them. But you and I can only definitively declare what God's Word says to be true. Now, history may fill in some details like it has in this case through the Greek historian Herodotus, but we can't go beyond what Scripture teaches. And we are living in a day and an age and a month in June. We are surrounded by people who think it's okay to go beyond what Scripture says because they feel or think a certain way. We can't do that. We have to stand upon God's Word. And yes, you may get frustrated. You may have lots of questions. And sometimes you may just have to say, look, we don't know why. We can talk about it, but what we know is what the author has revealed to us. So don't let that frustrate you. Just lean into it. We have what we need to know as this story develops. Number three, Esther and Mordecai are not perfect. They have flaws. They're sinners. Yet God still uses them to accomplish His purposes. 
Let's for a moment just compare Esther to Daniel. Esther is told by Mordecai to conceal and hide the fact, not to lie about it, but to conceal the fact that she's a Jew. Why would Mordecai tell her that? Why would she do it? We don't know. But what that means is there are certain things that Esther would have been doing in the palace that would have gone against God's law because nobody would have known she was a Jew. And had she been doing these things, abstaining from certain things, it would have been pretty clear she was a Jew because Jews had certain ways that they lived. Now you compare that to Daniel, who openly prayed and served his God so openly that it cost him what you thought would be his life when he was cast into the lion's den. But God supernaturally worked to keep their mouth, the lion's mouth shut. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who boldly stood and refused to bow, and it cost them a trip to the fiery furnace, where you would assume they would die, but God showed up in a massive way and spared them. And so the reality is, there's certain things that Esther and Mordecai do that we just question. Like, why would they do that? But here's what you and I must understand. God's word, cover to cover, is filled with flawed and sinful men. When you read Esther and you read about Mordecai, here's the reality. They were sinners just like you and I who needed a Savior. Every person in Scripture, from Adam and Eve to Peter, the apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus for three years and still denied him three times, Peter needed a Savior, and so they are flawed. Now, God still uses them in mighty ways, and he preserves his holy inspired word, even though they were sinful. And the reality is this morning, every one of us in this room, you are sinful, you are flawed, and you need a Savior. And Jesus is your Savior. Only he can deliver you. But you need to confess that sin, repent of that sin, turn from that sin, and take hold of Jesus, which leads to point number four. God delivers his people. God delivers his people. As the story of Esther unfolds, spoiler alert, it appears as though God's people, the Jews, are going to be annihilated, destroyed. There's been a royal edict, a royal decree that goes out against them, and God's people are to be wiped off the face of the earth. And yet what you will see is that God, behind the scenes, is going to deliver his people. And he will do that through ordinary people like Esther and Mordecai. And one of the themes of this book is the Feast of Purim. It's a celebration of deliverance of God's people that they celebrate every year. That God delivered them from the wicked Haman and the decree of King Ahasuerus. Right? The Jews still celebrate, just as they celebrate Passover, God's deliverance of them from the Egyptians. Right? They celebrate God's deliverance. And this has always been God's plan, hear me. It has always been God's plan to deliver. Go back to Genesis 3.15, the first gospel. Satan has always wanted to destroy the offspring who would eventually crush his head. Satan is given a death sentence in Genesis 3.15. 
that someone will come, an offspring will come that will destroy you. And so Satan's goal throughout redemptive history, throughout history, is to destroy the line so that eventually the Messiah would be destroyed. And one of the great lessons in Esther is this. It is the story of God's covenant-keeping promises in spite of the present configuration of the world. Whatever the present world looks like, God's plan is to deliver and preserve His people. He's going to keep them safe, no matter what's going on in the world around them. And that's where Esther and Mordecai come into play. Landon Down writes, Through His providence and in keeping with His promises, God places Esther and Mordecai in positions of power to preserve his people, and to punish his enemies. You know why Esther is so important for us today? Because if Haman had succeeded, if the plan that he convinced the king Ahasuerus to go along with, which is to destroy the Jewish people, then God's saving work in and through Abraham's descendants would have come to an end. God had promised through Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and eventually David. And the line continues that eventually the Messiah would come through the Jews. And if the Jews are destroyed, then the line stops. And as I heard Alistair Begg say this week, if that happened, there would be no fulfillment in Christ. There would be no gospel. There would be no Christian church. Had God stepped back and allowed his people to be completely annihilated. But Haman's plan did not succeed. God wins as he always does. And eventually, through this line, from Abraham and David, comes Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who purchases our salvation through his death and then his resurrection. And because God spares his people, and because Jesus comes and he dies and is resurrected, there is a gospel, there is salvation, and there is a Christian church. Amen? Because God delivers his people. So here we are. Thousands of years later, we're not Jewish. We don't celebrate Purim. We don't celebrate the Passover. Now, I've gone through what a Passover would look like. Those things can be helpful. You can see what the Jews go through, but we don't celebrate those regularly. But we do celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the book of Esther is vital in helping us see that God was committed to sending His Son, the Messiah, from the line of David to be the Savior of the world. One author writes this, What hope is there for us? What lies in the future? Can we survive when we are surrounded by anti-Christian forces and powers? When all the layers of government, and the media, and the press, And education at every level is in their pockets. One great message of this book of Esther is that God has pledged himself to protect his people always. Regardless of what's going on in our political climate or our cultural climate, 
God has made a promise to protect his people. We are, according to 1 Peter, his people, his possession. We are his, a holy nation, followers of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Karen Jobes, let me quote her one more time before we make the connection to the Lord's Supper. She writes that Messiah brought a deliverance from death, not limited to escaping Holocaust of history. Look, when you study history, you see the Jews have always been attacked. Satan has always sought to destroy them. You study the Holocaust, you study World War II and Hitler, and you can go on and on from Esther seeking to destroy them. God has delivered them, continue to continue the Jewish people, but his deliverance isn't limited to that, she says, but a deliverance from the grave that inevitably awaits each of us, both Jew and Gentile alike. So God's covenant with his people in the Old Testament in preserving them and keeping them alive, we have Christ, and now we are the people of Christ, and he is committed to his people. So we don't celebrate Purim. We don't celebrate Passover. But what we do faithfully seek to celebrate and to do together is the Lord's Supper. It is an ordinance that Jesus gave to his church, his bride, his people. So in just a couple minutes, we are going to eat of the bread and drink of the cup together. And when we do that, Paul tells us we are remembering. When you eat of the bread, you are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. You are remembering His death in your place. Just as He spared Israel from Egypt and spared Jews from Haman, He has spared us, rescued us, Through his blood, he has saved us, not from Pharaoh, not from Haman, but from Satan, death, hell, and sin. You've been rescued from those things through the death, burial, and resurrection. So we remember that when you eat and when you drink, you're remembering. But Paul also says this, you proclaim his death until he comes. We're remembering, but we're looking forward to the day when Jesus comes for his people. Church, hear me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ assures that he's coming again. It is a promise that Jesus is coming for his people. They didn't have it easy in Esther's day. There was an edict out to destroy them. I think you and I can make the case, and we'll see a little bit of this in the next couple weeks, that it's going to get harder and harder to follow Jesus in our current climate and culture. Either to assimilate or to run in despair. And we'll look at that next week. But our response is to have hope in Jesus Christ. To remain steadfast in his promises for we have a god and only he can rescue and deliver his people and he has made a covenant to do just that so do not lose heart 
Stay steadfast. Remain firm. Know you may not see God and what he's doing now, but trust me, hold on. He's doing something. He's at work in your life, and in time, he will show you what that is. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, I absolutely love the book of Esther and this story, and as we see it unfold, God, I just pray it will result in your praise and in your glory and honor. Lord, if there is anybody here this morning who maybe they're discouraged because, God, they, they wonder where you are. They're losing heart. Maybe listening to their emotions or their feelings or their perceptions, and it's led them down a path of despair. God, I pray that they'll just go to the book of Esther this week, and they'll begin to read, God, of your commitment to be with your people and to deliver your people. If there's anybody here today, Lord Jesus, that has never given their life to you, never trusted in you, never turned from their sins, never repented of their sins, never confessed their sins, never said, Lord Jesus, I deserve hell. I deserve to be separated to you because you're holy and I am not. That right now they would confess their sins, that they would turn from their sins and cry out, Lord Jesus, save a wretched, horrific sinner like me. They would understand that to follow you, Jesus, is all because of grace. It's all because of the work that you have done. But God, when we choose to follow you, it'll cost us our very life. We'll die to sin. We'll die to the things of the world. And we begin to live for a king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Father, move in our hearts. Prepare our hearts to eat and drink in just a moment. And God, as we're about to sing, this is what got me so excited earlier, God. I had no clue what song we were getting ready to sing. Brian and I had not rehearsed this, talked about this. God, we're getting ready to sing that you alone can rescue. It's you and you alone who can deliver, which is the main theme that we see in the book of Esther. It's your providence and it's your deliverance of your people. So just remind us, God, that once we were not a people, but now we are. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And it is all because of grace. And may we just be in awe, God, of who you are. We offer up this, this song of praise, this fragrance offering to you. Rescue and save us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's worship together.
Amen, amen, you may be seated. Our deacons are going to come now, and Miss Ann's going to make her way to the piano while our deacons are coming. Just two things about the Lord's Supper this morning. One, this is for those who have given their life to Jesus, followers in Jesus Christ, so believers. So if you have never trusted in Jesus, I pray that you will do that right now before you take of the bread and the cup. When we pass it out, we ask that you wait till everybody has received it, and then we'll do this together. And just a reminder, as we've done this several times now, the cups are double stacked, so there's two cups. Um, so make sure you're getting two cups out, and then just hold on to that until um, we're ready to partake of that. So Pastor Gary is going to come join me. And so if our deacons will stand. Let me just say a word of prayer, and then we'll pass this out. Father, as we prepare to eat and to drink, Lord, we just say thank you. Our hearts are filled with gratitude that you would willingly, Jesus, lay down your life. The spotless Lamb of God, He who knew no sin, fully God, fully man, laying down His life upon this cross. So that through your death, burial, and resurrection, your people, some 2,000 years later, could still be filled with hope. That we could celebrate in the midst of chaos. That we can have peace in the midst of heartache and joy in the midst of sorrow. But it's all because of your blood. Without your blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jesus would have first taken the bread and it says he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Praise the Lord. It's been a great morning already. It's not quite over yet. We got our youth camp meeting. So parents and students who are going to camp, when the service is over, if you'll just kind of make your way over there as um, quickly as possible. Um, and then, of course, tonight we've got our international food night. So come. It's a great time of fellowship. Get to try out some international meals. And uh, we focus on missions. But then we also, our kids are going to have their um, special time together as well. So please be here for that. Our deacon of the week is Kevin. So he's going to come dismiss us with a word of prayer. If you'll please stand for that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this, this time of worship, dear Lord. Uh, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Just ask that you would uh, be with us as we leave this place and bring us back safely tonight. Um, and that we would just be a light amongst darkness. In your heavenly and gracious name, amen.